0: So good to see you all. Good morning, everybody. I'm glad a couple of you are happy to see me. I'm happy to see you. Good morning, everybody. Come on. Um, and just uh, just update. Last night, um, I spent. I just had a, just a great time yesterday. Uh, we. Uh, I was invited to speak on Zoom. Uh, you guys, uh, hopefully you know a little bit now about Diraj and Louisa, who have been part of our church for a long time. Uh, they, their brother-in-law, uh, Linus, he's called Linus Das. He leads a church in Pune in India, and I um, and, uh, just had the privilege, he asked me to come and speak to a group of people that he's doing leadership course with, and there was other pastors and leaders, and um, just had a great time worshipping with them and uh praying with them, and just sharing a little bit um some kind of nuggets and things like that. it was just so good and interesting as well. Just uh, looking at people in houses and different places and uh you know Zoom calls can be interesting anyway can 't they and there was uh, There was a lot of translation, so it was Is it Marathi? Is that the right language? Yeah, so it's translated from English into Marathi. And I'm not sure that the right words are always going across, but it was fine. Um, And it was just such a blessing. Please continue to pray for them. It's such a great church um, that we have connections with. And we want to keep building relationships with them. Um, But this morning, uh, we are going to be continuing uh, in... It's the last Sunday, actually, in our kind of free holiday. Um, Over the summer holidays, we, we said that we would just ask whoever was speaking just to bring what was on their heart that week. And uh, this is kind of the last Sunday where we're doing that. Next week, we start our sermon series in Christ Alone, where we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians. I'm so excited about that sermon series. I'm not going to lie. There's some really good subjects to pull out there. And uh, I hope you're excited about it too. But this morning, I just felt uh, to bring to you uh, this subject of take up your cross. It's really uh, uh, it's quite a hard piece of scripture, actually. When you first come across it in the Gospels, you know, the Gospels, we read about the love of Jesus and how kind he was with people and how uh, patient he was with people, don't we? And then there's this bit in Matthew chapter 10, which we're going to focus on this morning. It, it feels almost out of place to some, to some degree. It feels, uh, the way it's been translated uh, from the Greek into English, it almost feels so like, you know, Finalized And so harsh, uh, so cutting the words by Jesus. And they are to a certain degree, but I want to unpack them together. And I feel like there's a real challenge for each and every one of us this morning from God. And I love it when the Holy Spirit's already speaking and that word that Chris just brought about these different doors with voices coming out of them, just attracting you to them is definitely a word for us this morning. So as we open this up together, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. We're going from verse 32 to 42. If you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, you can take one for free. They're at the back. You can keep it. It's a gift. Um, But we will also put the words up on the screen as well. So I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to go into reading the scripture. So Father, we just thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a good, good God, that you're here with us right now. And I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would come and speak to our hearts this morning. Uh, thank you for the words in that song, Lord, that you can melt the hardest of hearts. And Lord, I just pray right now that if there's any hardness in our hearts that is blocking you from having access to an area of our life, Lord, that you would just allow it to be taken away. Lord, would we be vulnerable and open before you? In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 10, 32 to 42, it says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Yes, difficult from the start. It gets worse. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's not always so difficult. (laughs) You're not supposed to laugh at that bit. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves their daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward reward. And if anyone gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Okay, so this is quite a chunk of scripture. There's a lot going on in here. It's a bit of a tongue twister as well. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot going on in here. And if you're anything like me, you come across this when you're reading the accounts of Jesus, the gospel accounts, and you think, well, like. I'm not sure I feel so comfortable with this. There's a couple of scriptures like that, and they kind of make you feel a little bit uneasy. Jesus talking about denying us before the heavenly father. And we're just going to open it up a little bit. And I think one of the reasons why this scripture is so difficult to listen to is because the world we live in, I don't know about you, but the Western world, uh, in particular in Britain, has changed dramatically over the last 60 years or so. The things that were unacceptable just a a generation ago now are completely the norm, right? Uh, The values that this country had, uh, even one generation past, um, is is, in terms of being a God-fearing country, believing right from wrong, uh, being a community-focused country, um, we find that actually a lot of that has disappeared in this new generation, and I'm part of that generation, so I'm not having a go at you, just so you know. Um, and, and and it's especially with the rise of social media, has caused a big, played a big part in that. People have become more self-focused, more self-dependent, self-reliant. Um, actually, the, the the thought of coming and being part of a community, part of a church, is a bit of an alien thought that actually I'm supposed to remain in community when I don't actually like the other person who comes along too. Um, and actually the Bible tells us that's a good thing. Iron's supposed to sharpen iron. There's supposed to be friction between us, right? But, but there is this trend around the developed world of being more isolated, um, more focused on ourselves rather than others. They're kind of like that door that Chris was talking about earlier, the, the door of the self. And the, the Psychology Today magazine It released a study in 2017 and highlighted its growing concern around the issue. It says, social media, why it connects us with others, may actually lead to a greater self-centeredness as people strive to make their presence known. Much of social media is all about me. Overly doting helicopter parents, posting pictures of the kids on Facebook every day, you know who you are, may also be creating a greater narcissism in children. Finally, society with its emphasis on celebrity, appearance, and the narcissistic role models that we have, and leaders maybe playing a part in greater self-centeredness. So there's this real worry, not just in the church, but in the world as well, and recognizing that the world is becoming all about me. It's protecting me. This issue that, and the issue is, is when the culture that we live in where it's okay to be worried about yourself and only about yourself, that's actually promoted, (laughs) and to define your own identity and who you want to be, when it meets this wave of culture that Jesus brings in his kingdom, and they just clash like two waves hitting each other. And, And Jesus brings these words in Matthew chapter 10 that are so difficult for us to read because they challenge us right to our core about who our life is really going to be about. Is it going to be about me or is it going to be about Jesus and other people? And this is why it feels so uncomfortable to read. I mean, I feel uncomfortable reading it. I don't know about you, but, but uh, Jesus brings this countercultural message, but also it feels a little harsh, right? Like it, the words that he's saying can't you know, we read about Jesus being this God of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. So we're going to dig into it, and and I, I know that you guys all love a sermon with three points. Um, it doesn't feel too long, doesn't feel too short, and you know where I'm at and when I'm wrapping up. Okay, so I've got three helpful preacher points for you this morning that I'm going to pull out of this and just go through Jesus' words, and I think there's some real challenge from God to us this morning as a church. So. Um, His disciples, Jesus' disciples... Must be people who are willing to acknowledge Jesus to the world. This is the first thing that Jesus says. He says in verse thirty-three, "Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge them before my Father in heaven." A necessary part of you being a follower of Jesus, of you being His disciple, is being willing to acknowledge Jesus before other people, but being willing to share who Jesus is publicly, acknowledging Him. So Romans one sixteen to seventeen, Paul says this. He says, "For I am not ashamed." The righteous will live by faith, so, so this gospel message of just putting your faith in Jesus, you are made righteous and clean. This is the gospel message and paul says hey i 'm not ashamed to share this with anybody to the Jew, to the Gentile it's, uh, and I, I will share it with everybody and anybody who will listen i 'm not ashamed of, we, don't, we need to be a people who aren 't ashamed of the gospel and romans ten nine if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart uh, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Following Jesus is about declaring to the people around you, your friends, your family, your, the people that you work with from Monday to Friday. It's about declaring to, to them that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And he, through the gospel, the gospel message can be theirs too, right? So, but it's pointing out here, it's not just about saying it with your lips, right? Like in, in the Greek, the word that's used about declaring isn't just about using your lips. And, and James picks up on this big time in his letter. His letter is all about how we're not supposed to just say it, we're supposed to show it too in our lives, right? So James talked about those who choose to say it, um, but not acknowledging Jesus through their choices or through their actions. So James two nineteen, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and should You foolish person, Nice pick-me-up there. Uh, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Now, let me be very clear here. We believe that f- that, that salvation in Jesus is through faith alone, through, you know, when we declare with our lips, when we, when we believe in our hearts, we are saved, right? We believe that the thief on the cross beside Jesus is... You know, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't do anything other than acknowledge who Jesus was. So we believe that. But but what the Bible talks about and what Jesus is talking about in terms of acknowledging him before other people is not just your words, but actually how you act, how you behave. Um, it's not just about nodding along. Like, do you believe Jesus is God? Yeah, yes, yeah, he is. I think he is. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, pretty sure, Right? Like, that, that's fine. But actually, it's got to play out in your life. There's got to be fruit from that decision. There's got to be a real change from inside of you, right? And, and confessing that Jesus is Lord is more than just nodding along. It's about being a people who are fully identified with him, both in our words and in our actions. And and uh, I just wanted to just... I'm going to pause there for a second, okay? I'm just going to allow... The Holy Spirit, just to speak for a second and, and try and just ask you the question. This is one of the things that we feel, and I talked last week about, you know, it's not about what we do. We are just saved. We're in Christ, right? But there is this need for us to be acknowledging Jesus. And perhaps there's something right now in your life where you just think, you know, Lord, I know I'm doing that. I'm partaking in that. I'm, I'm, I'm continuing in that. Sin. I know it doesn't, I'm not declaring who you are, in that moment of my life. Maybe there's something I just felt when we were praying this morning before we started the meeting, I just felt maybe there's some unforgiveness in the room. There's people just feeling actually, even in this room, there's people that really you feel uh, difficult to be around. Maybe there's people you haven't spoken well of. Maybe there's things where you've allowed your heart to harden. Maybe there's a sin in your own life that no one knows about but God. I just feel this morning, actually, it's a good time to say, Lord, help me to acknowledge you in the way that I react, in the way that I act daily, in the way that I speak about about you or the way I speak about other people. Help me to be someone who's acknowledging you and who you are. I just want to just... If that's you, it's okay. There's grace for you. God loves you. And and when we read this next bit, Jesus is going to turn it up on its head, so you're going to have to stay with me. But Jesus turns us around, right? He says, "He says, those who constantly disown Christ, this means that you'll be disowned by him. Oof, that's the bit that's hard to hear, right? <laughs> like, I don't know about you, but that, that feels quite difficult. Like I was saying, though, it sounds harsh, but Jesus is using something here. So there's this word that he uses about disowning him, about about denying him to others. And it's, this uh, verb's actually only used once more in the gospel accounts, this verb that he uses to, to disown somebody. Can anybody just tell me, shout out, the, the, another place in the, in the gospel where someone denies knowing somebody publicly? Can someone tell me? Yeah, Peter. Peter denies knowing Jesus how many times? Three times. Three times he denies, same verb, this denies knowing Jesus publicly. And, and he denies him, not once, not twice, but three times. And, and yes, these words are harsh. So if, if Jesus is being literal, like the moment you disown me publicly, I'm going to disown you before my Father in heaven. But we know from the, from the account with Peter that that doesn't happen, does it? We know that Jesus doesn't then go, oh, well, fine, Peter, you're dead to me. You've denied me publicly. That's the end of that, right? And that's why it lasted. He doesn't do that, does he? Instead, Jesus pursues Peter, and he asks him if he loves him, not once, not twice, but three times. He allows him to declare his love for him publicly. And so we know that Jesus pursues people. So Jesus isn't a liar, right? Let's make that very clear. He means what he says in this passage. But we know that there is grace, and there is love, and there is forgiveness for those who are repentant, because Peter is repentant. Now... Obviously, as we walk through life with Jesus, there are moments in our lives where we know we're not acknowledging one who Jesus is, that he is our Lord and Savior, but we're not acknowledging who we are in Jesus too, that actually we're made righteous and clean and we're not living that out. But what Jesus is saying is, for those who continue to deny me, never repentant, never changing of heart, actually, those people, I'll deny that I know them because I don't, I don't know them. So just making that very clear. But I also want to make something else clear, that, that people hearing this, uh, there are people in the room who hear this and think, wow, like I, I want to declare who Jesus is to others, but I'm just not very good at it. There are these people uh, who have these superhuman abilities, I think, anyway, that they are just amazing evangelists. They're just incredible at sharing the good news of Jesus with people, right? So like, think about Billy Graham, for example, they... uh, uh, Billy Graham, on his crusade in 1992, he he stopped off at Moscow. And whilst he was there, he he preached the gospel to a crowd of 155,000 people. 155,000 people. Can you imagine that? And when he gave the opportunity for people to give their lives to Jesus, a quarter of the crowd came forward in response to give their lives to Jesus. Can you imagine that? And we read, and we read about that, and we think, man, like, Jesus, I'm way down here. Like, I, like I can't even preach to one person without feeling scared or worried. But it's about preaching through our words and our deeds, acknowledging Jesus. Not everybody is one of these super Billy Graham Christians that can just do this type of thing like he does. I mean, we look at that and we're just in awe, right, how God used him. But we do have to have a heart that says, Lord, even when it's difficult in my life, even when I'm struggling, when when I don't understand, even when I want to do my own thing, Let me never disown you in my actions. Let me never disown you in my words. And thank you for the example of Peter, that even when I do, there is grace and mercy and you pursue me. So the first thing I wanted to bring to you all is that we need to be a people that acknowledge Jesus in our words and in our deeds. Now, I'm telling you, that's a challenge for everybody, because none of us are like Jesus, not 100%, right? Like, we don't act like him all the time. We don't speak like him all the time. That's the first challenge I wanted to bring to us as a church. His desire for you is to be more like him, to to acknowledge him in everywhere. And we have the assurance that as we do that, as we pursue him, he acknowledges us, he sees us, and he loves us. It's so good, isn't it? So, that's point number one. Number two, and I promise the second two are a little bit shorter. Uh, Jesus' followers should be able to accept rejection and be anticipating rejection even from their own families. Now, this almost sounds counter who Jesus is, this whole section. He says, I did not come to bring peace, right? But we know Jesus is the prince of peace, right? So it sounds almost like, hold on, are you sure these are the words of Jesus here? But he says, I didn't come to bring peace, but we know he's the prince of peace. Uh, and then there's this kind of weird bit in the middle where he's, he's quoting from Micah 7, and he, and he talks about families turning against one another, these divisions being in families. and And Jesus is saying, So is Jesus saying in this section that we should be looking to fall out with our friends and families, especially those who don't accept Jesus? Is Jesus saying that? He's definitely not. Because Romans 12, 18 tells us, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, not just the people you like, with everyone. Now, so let me just be clear. Jesus' words here... And not about you should be looking for a family punch-up at Christmas, right? When, when people don't want to pray, right? Like, that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about that type of division that you bring. But he's clear, clearly saying that when we choose to follow Jesus, guess what? There, there is going to be division in your life. It just happens naturally. The, 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 people will think that you're wrong. People will think people have issues with the church. Have you ever met anybody who has issues with church? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, everyone's oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like, oh, yeah, they do. They have problems with church. And rightly so in some cases, but people have real issues with church, with the whole establishment of it. People have issues with Jesus. People have issues with God and what, what's been allowed to happen in their lives. And when, you know, when I became a believer, my mum came from a non-believing background. You guys know that. My mum thought I was an idiot. Do you know how I knew that my mum thought I was an idiot? Cause, yeah, because she told me I was an idiot. <laughs> like, That's it. She told me I was an idiot. Charles Swindle, uh, he's a a Baptist theologian. That's for the Baptists right here. Um, He says, I have witnessed with my own eyes the family of a committed believer being downright hostile. You're dead to us, they said. I've heard parents disowning children, breaking off all contact with them, or constantly making malicious, ugly comments about their faith. And in some parts of the world, some of you will be, part, will be from some parts of the world that are like this. We have the blessing of, being, of living in the United Kingdom, even if you don't feel like it. Conversion to Christianity is tantamount to treason against one's own country. And is considered the worst kind of betrayal to one's people. In those cases, physical harm or even death might result. And Jesus, here's the thing. When Jesus calls you, he's not sugarcoating anything for you. He's telling you the reality of your life when you choose to follow him. He can't sugarcoat it for the disciples and what they're going to experience when he's with them no longer. That there will be people who say things and do things towards you that is downright hurtful, just absolutely going out their way to be hurtful towards you. Some of you may have lost friends or family when you chose to be a follower of Jesus. Some of you might have lost that closeness with your loved ones. <clears throat> because you've decided that the way they live isn't, it, it can't live side by side by the way you need to live in Christ. And so for some of you, that would have been very difficult. There are people in this room that have had to make difficult decisions on that, choosing who to associate with as you work out your faith. The Bible tells us to work out your faith. There are things, you know, you receive forgiveness and and and, uh, righteousness in Christ. But then you've got to go and work out what it looks like in your life. What does it look like when I'm a follower of Jesus? What does it look like to live a life that is righteous? And that means there's people in your life that you can't really associate with like you used to before. You can't go out to the pub and get drunk like you used to with your buddies and your pals. And for some of you, that has been really painful. There's been parents that you've grown distant from because they don't understand the decisions that you've made. Perhaps it's left some of you feeling lonely or isolated or feeling like, man, I miss hanging out with those guys that I used to go to the football with. And you've had to make those decisions, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how lonely or isolated you feel at times, Jesus can meet your need. You might have lost friends, family. You might have even had to have fled from where you lived, the country you lived in. But I'm telling you, Jesus can meet you in that. Around the world, there are people who are disowned, Killed, lose their jobs, lose their standing in their community because they choose Jesus. And this is what Jesus is saying here. Does he want this for you? No. But will it is it the reality of what it's like to follow him? It is. It is. As you work out your salvation. And finally, number three, as disciples, we must choose to take up our cross. That's what Jesus says: to take up your cross. Like I said at the beginning. We live in a world that is very concerned and tells you to be very concerned with yourself. <laughs> um, the world tells us that we should be concerned about our own lives, our own interests, our own identity. You decide who you are nowadays, not Jesus, you. You decide who you are and who you want to be. It's like that whole um, Lego, I don't know, catch line for Lego, the only, the only limit is your imagination. And that's what the world says to you now. You can be whoever you want, whenever you want. Your gender can be mayonnaise if you want it to. It's a real thing. Look it up. It's all about you, 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 you. And Jesus says, it can't be about you. Take up your cross and follow me. It's all about you. Charity starts at home. Be concerned about you, your own family, your own peace, your own security, your own pension, your own possessions, your own career. It's all about you. Look after number one. That's what I say. Have you anybody really say that? Look after number one. It's, it's about feeding this unsatisfiable beast of self. You'll never feed it, you'll never fill it. There's only one place that you will find a fullness. But the call of the believer is to put Jesus and Jesus alone on the throne of your life. Not yourself. And in doing so, Jesus calls us to live a life that's pointing towards God and towards others. Jesus actually said that you can identify who his followers are by their love for themselves. No, he didn't say that, did he? He said you'll identify his followers by their love for one another. One another. Their love for one another. And you see... As you do that, as you allow Jesus to take center stage, as you allow him to be on the throne of your life, as you spend your life demonstrating what it is to be a disciple of Jesus by loving one another, actually you'll find that he is the one who loves you. He is the one who fulfills you. He is the one who brings you into a better life that that defines your identity. You don't have to do that. It's not your job. That's his job to love you. And he does such a better job of it than you do, trust me. <clears throat> and how does, how does Jesus illustrate this point of, of, of dying to yourself? Well, through, a torch, to, <laughs> through torture at a cross. It's really lovely, isn't it? <laughs> really lovely. Billy Graham said this in the offense of the cross. He said, when Jesus said, if you were going to follow me, you have to take up your cross, it was the same as saying, come to me and bring your electric chair. Take up your gas chamber and follow me. He did not have a beautiful gold cross in mind, one of those rustic, lovely wooden ones that you hold in your hand and they're all sanded off and nice, or, or one of these golden ones on a steeple. Jesus had in mind a place of execution. You, you know, honestly, when I was writing this, I, I almost left that bit out because it felt a little bit heavy, the whole gas chamber thing. And if you've ever been to uh, Germany or Poland, one of the old concentration camps with the Jews, where the Jews were taken and they were killed they were in the gas chamber, you'll know that it is not a nice thing to see. And there's these hills of grass now. They're actually just hills of ashes of where they burnt them afterwards. It's just this most dreadful picture. But this is what Jesus had in mind when he said, this is what it's like to follow me. To take this, this instrument of torture and to carry it and to take everything, you, you, you know, crucifixion wasn't an uncommon sight to these, these disciples. They, they would see it. They would see it all the time. They would see people being crucified. Um, and Jesus was more than likely two, two years away from his own crucifixion. But they, they would have had no mistakes in knowing what Jesus was talking about in this moment. They knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. It was this humiliating, painful experience It was the most humiliating and painful experience that they could think of. And yet Jesus says, when you want to follow him, he's saying, pick up your cross and follow me. And he wants all of your needs, all of your self-centeredness, all of your desires, all of that you fantasize about, your dream job, your dream car, your dream house, your cushy little life, your cushy little pension, to take all of that and crucify it on the cross and follow me. It's heavy words. And he's saying, hey, allow me to be the one who cares for you. Allow me to be the one that you trust in. Not this stuff here, but trust in me. Follow me. Keep your eyes on me. And this phrase, take up your cross, it signified being ready and willing to suffer in the world for Jesus, to put aside ourselves and to crucify all that we want and instead to follow him. What a challenge for you and me. Like, I mean, what a challenge. Jesus never promises that it'll be easy, does he? But he does promise it'll be worth it. and We know that. So Jesus is calling us to be a people, as his disciples, to to acknowledge him in everything that we say, everything that we do. He wants us to be a people that understand that there's gonna be a price to pay for choosing him. There'll be people that don't wanna associate with you anymore. There'll be work colleagues who laugh at you. There'll be... For some people, the reality is they'll even have to move country for making that decision. And lastly, that we need to get rid of what we want and instead fix our eyes on what Jesus has for us, the best for us. I wanna be really clear though on something. As I was preparing for this morning as I was praying, Jesus isn't calling you to a life of gloom and misery. I think as we were worshiping this morning, we felt gloomy or in full of misery. No, like he's calling you into a life of adventure with him. He's calling you to drop everything, drop your baggage and come with him. And I just want to finish by bringing something to you. You know, following Jesus doesn't mean that these things will happen to you, that you will be denied by your friends, your family. And by God's grace, they won't happen to you. But it does mean that we're willing to pick up our cross and say, yes, Jesus, whatever the cost, whatever it costs me, Lord, I want to put you first in my life. Um, As I was talking to a friend about this subject and just talking to them, and they were sharing and saying, you know, talking about Jesus wanting to be first before our friends, before our wants, before our boyfriend, girlfriends, you know, but Jesus just wanted to be first in our lives. And And saying, actually, they found that actually quite difficult when they became a follower of Jesus. But they said when they did, when they did make that decision, they did put Jesus center. They did put Jesus first. Actually, it didn't didn't ruin everything else. It made everything else better. It made their job better. It made their friendships better. It made their hobbies better. Putting Jesus first actually enriches everything else. It doesn't, you know, so I want to really encourage you with that but I want to finish this with this picture really and I just had a picture of some people this morning and I'm just going to invite Phil to come back up and we're going to go into a time of communion but I just had this picture this morning as I was praying that for some people actually you made this decision a long time ago Jesus I want to follow you and I know that there's a cost to that I know that it can be difficult I know there's going to be some hard moments in that but I want to follow you and actually, for some of you, I want you to just picture the River Tees. And I want you to picture walking into the middle of that river, just swimming into the middle of it. And I, and I want you to just imagine just trying to stay still in the river. We know it's a big river, don't we? Powerful river. And for some of you, life feels like that river. Man, it just hits you. <laughs> and, and, and just staying still in that river is just difficult. Just to even just stay in the same place is actually really hard work. And for some of you, you're like, yeah, Jesus, I want to follow you, but this is really hard. Actually, just, I'm not moving anywhere. I'm not progressing with you. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm growing in you. And actually just staying still is really difficult. And Jesus is saying, hey, follow me up the river. And you're like, man, like, I can't do it, Jesus. I can't, I don't have it within me. And I just felt God saying, for some people, actually, you've just let the river take you. Your life with Jesus has just slipped and you're just floating downstream. You're just floating downstream and you're saying, God, like, I feel lost. I feel lonely. And actually what you're asking of me, Jesus, just feels hard. I just want, I want, I want you to know I felt God speak to me for you. That actually that it's his power that takes you up the river. It's his power, his strength, his grace that carries you. He's just asking you to get back in the swimming. (laughs) He's just asking you to to come to him. And it might feel like a real monumental effort in your life right now. I feel like Jesus is just calling you back. Don't let the river take you. Don't just go with the flow. Don't just go with the current. Going against the current is against culture, is against what this world wants you to do. It's against making your life about yourself and it's all about making your life about Jesus and others. That's hard. It's swimming against the current. But I feel like Jesus is saying, hey, allow me to be the one to give you the strength. And maybe you've just allowed these things in your life where you don't acknowledge him, maybe in your words or maybe through how you act, you just allowed those to become part and, part, of, part and parcel of who you are. She's saying, let me take that from you this morning. Let me remove that from you. Let me help you to acknowledge me in every part of your life. And if you've disowned me time and time again, don't worry, there's grace for you. Look at Peter. There's grace for you. I'm pursuing you. I'm after you. Maybe you feel lonely or isolated. Maybe you feel like you've lost friends because you've chosen him. Sure feel God saying, I want to meet you in that. I'm with you in that. So just as we come to a place to take communion, we want to do business with God, don't we? Paul talks about as we take communion, we need to take seriously sin in our lives. And we need to take seriously what he has for us. So I'm going to invite you all to stand. i are just going to pray. Romans 8, 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that whatever we go through in life right now, however difficult things are, thank you that what you've stored up for us in heaven, the promise of eternity in your presence is so much greater than any struggle, any hardship that we can experience right now here on earth. I thank you, Jesus, that you are sufficient that through your blood, through your resurrection, you have made all things new in my life. And Lord, I know that it is hard at times. There are weeks that it is more difficult to follow you, where it feels so easy to let the river take me and to flow downstream. But Jesus, thank you that though your words are hard, though what you're asking me is difficult at times to do, I thank you, Lord, that you are sufficient for me. And Lord, everything that you have for me is good. Lord, I repent of where the world has called me into the wrong room, like the word Chris brought, where I've been lured into the wrong door, maybe being focused on myself or maybe being focused on other things other than you. But Lord Jesus, this morning I say, as I come to take the the cup, as I come to take the bread, your body, Lord, I recognise that you are enough. And I do this in remembrance of you of your sacrifice. I thank you, Lord, that you don't ask me to do anything that you haven't done. As you asked me to take up my cross and follow you, I thank you that you were the first. You demonstrated what it was to lay down our lives. Thank you, Jesus. I want to allow John to take over as we take communion.